following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Now, now just take a look at what he says. He says, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. That's a really important word. In fact, just take a, a good close look at this word, the Greek word behind the word train or discipline. Train yourself to be godly is the Greek word gumnazo. Gumnazo. Sounds funny, but take a close look at it. What word does it look like? Well, it looks like our word gymnasium, right? Gymnasium. Why? Because we get our word gymnasium from this Greek word. In the ancient world, back in Paul's day, in fact, 1 Timothy was written to the city of Ephesus, they had gymnasiums. They had places where they would go and work out, they would box, they would wrestle, they would run, right? Places where they could get in shape. And this word refers to that kind of working out, the gymnasium. Well, this word is all about that. What Paul is saying is he's saying, you got to get in shape, spiritually speaking. Do you want to live a godly life? Do you want to grow spiritually? It doesn't happen on accident. You don't just drift into it. You don't just wake up and one day you're spiritual. It happens by training. In fact, John Ortberg made this line pretty famous when he said, training, not trying, is the way to be like Jesus. Training, not trying. That's a key fundamental for growing spiritually. Life matters, and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Pastor Walt, as we think out loud again today, at least you're going to think out loud, and I'm going to ask the questions as we normally do, but as I think about thinking out loud about deception, which is where you've been over the last several weeks, you've been talking about the various things that are happening within within First Timothy, and yet every deception starts with a good idea, right? There's a good idea out there, and somehow that turns into a myth or it turns into some sort of false teaching somehow. So how do we protect ourselves against such things? I mean, how do we not know when something is not being correctly discerned in the Word of God? And it turns into a myth. Good question. And just even in the last hour, I was listening to a sermon that gave me an epiphany about it. (laughs) I think it has a lot to do with our affection, what we love, what resonates with us, what we like, what appeals to our belief system. This is what the problem was in the church in Ephesus, is that there's this false belief system, but it was provocative. It was interesting. It had this unique combination of Jewish law and Greek philosophy combined together. So it's kind of like the latest and greatest. And the people went away from true doctrine. Paul talks about that at the end of chapter 3. He gives us true doctrine. He does that because he's going to warn us in chapter 4, false doctrine is coming. And then he proceeds to talk about, over the next few chapters, more order in the church. What is proper order? And that proper order, another way that we might say it is doctrine. Because Paul says, to Timothy as we enter into chapters 5 and 6, teach these things, the things that I've told you, teach these things. 
But there's something in our human nature, in our flesh, that we can't seem to resist what we are attracted to. So I, I ask people, you know, what are you feeding yourself the most? I've noticed, and I've joked around about this before in the church, that I love Mountain Dew. And when I start to drink it again, I crave it. But if I go a long period of time without drinking it, I don't crave it. My diet has changed. And that's the, that's the issue. When we get out of the Word of God, when we get out of fellowship, the worldly ideology is everywhere. It's in your face all the time. It's in the news. It's on social media. It's in sports. It's everywhere. And it continually feeds us this diet. And we crave more of it. I noticed uh, several years ago, I was addicted to primetime news. Mm. And I just kept hanging on from one show to the next, and every night would be wasted. That was my diet. So I decided to change my diet. I decided to pray and read the Word of God in the evenings when I was home alone. Okay, but let me ask you this. Let me press on that a little bit, and that is that that diet, sometimes we're not getting the kind of diet in the Western church as they do in, say, other parts of the world. For example, you and I both know that sometimes certain themes in the church today is not preached. It is primarily because people can't handle it when they come to Sunday morning. For example, if you were to preach on suffering, people would go, oh my goodness, especially if you did a series on it that went and extended beyond a Sunday, they'd go, I'm not going to church here about suffering. Pastor Walt must have his head examined or something because that's not where, where I'm at. So... Isn't that deception if we're not taking the whole Word of God into consideration? Because a non-suffering existence fits with our American culture. We don't suffer much. When do we suffer? We have a little bit of pain. We break a bone, and within two hours, we're in surgery, and then we're on pain medication. We have a long life expectancy. The coronavirus has really thrown us for a loop because that goes against our narrative. We're not as invincible as we thought that we were. It just takes a lot of work to get the cultural baggage out of our minds. And part of the problem is exactly what you're saying is the church has fed us and so much of the teaching in the church has fed us. When a minister gets up there and all he does is just preach health and wealth, that God has this great plan for your life and suffering is not a part of it, It's just not biblical. I find myself with a renewed interest and desire in just reading the Bible. So just, I have my text every week and my study. And so I go to other books, particularly in the book of Luke right now, just reading, just reading it over and over again, gone through it two or three times now. I am trying to be more attentive to what I'm reading. And I'm seeing a lot of things that we don't pay attention to in our American culture about consider others better than yourselves, walking blamelessly, pursuing holiness, humility, love one another, and spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's just, it's reminding me so much more of the community of Christ than just my individual walk. And that's what I'm seeing right now. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. It just opens up your eyes to see things in a way that you haven't seen them before. And I just have experienced in my walk with Christ just a renewed energy all the time because he always shows me something new in the scripture that I can apply to my life. But none of those things are a part of what we're taught in the, in the culture right now. 
we have such an obsession with ourselves mm-hmm. and such an obsession with attention. And because we're not getting it, we're depressed, we're anxious, we lash out, we're critical. Those kinds of things we have to be extremely careful of. We, we're blessed to be in a church where we just don't experience very much of that. The people are happy. The people are joyful. The people get along well. We don't have drama. We have our bumps on the road just like any other church does. But it's because we keep the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God, every part of it, the parts that we don't like. In the end, we find that there's real joy and there's real happiness in taking up my cross and laying my life down for others and sacrificing things in this world for eternal joy. It's just a different message that we hear in many churches, not all, because I know that my friends are preaching the same message that you die to yourself and you take up your cross, but it's still not a very popular message in our culture. I remember years ago, somebody uh, left the church I was serving in, went to another church, and he said, I feel like I'm, I'm getting a pep talk every Sunday. I just mm. love it. I just love this pep talk. And I thought, man, that is, that's revolting. <laughs> it's just, but that's how our American mind is. So, Pastor Walt, your text was 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10, and there's a passage in there that talks about not giving way to silly myths. And it prior to that, it talks about being and having training in godliness. So I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. But it says, do not have anything to do with silly myths. Now, what the heck is a silly myth? That's a good question, because you could go a lot of different ways on application with this. For the Ephesians, the silly myths were genealogies was one, and that was as hard as it is for us to understand, is genealogy was extremely important, and you wanted to connect yourself to somebody important in your past, and it made you look good. I'm a descendant of so-and-so. Sure. And so that became one of those endless myths for them. If we think about how we behave in the world and how much attention we try to draw to ourselves, that silly myth of genealogy is much like we are now. It's just human nature that I want attention. I want people to notice me. I want them to think that I'm great. So I'm posting this wonderful life all the time. And we see that studies have shown that it has an adverse effect on other people who aren't secure who don't have self-confidence or a strong identity in Christ, and they watch them and they think, wow, this person has a wonderful life. My life is terrible. And then that that other person's life becomes our reality. They're having more fun than, than I am. They have more money than I have. They're eating better than I am, whatever it is. It's just this constant. And I, I just stopped posting after a while because I just thought, what is the what is the sense of this? God's called me to pastor this church to be with these people And all I'm going to do is to get into, as Paul mentions as well, it just leads to senseless arguments. He talks about that as well. Stay out of these senseless arguments. Stay focused on, life is just too short. Stay focused on your community and the people that are close to you. I'm so blessed to have deep friendships and allies in the church. Someone just made the comment recently that I'm the first pastor that they've been friends with. Well, that just made me so proud of my relationship with people in in the church, that I'm one of them. Just God has called me to this particular role. So it could be a lot of different things. This myth, it's just, think of it this way, 
make sure that you're re- you align your reality with God's reality. The reality is that Jesus is in control, that nothing can harm us. We can never be taken away from the love of God. That's where our security is, and that's where our stability is, and that's where we get self-confidence and we get identity in Christ because he's the only one that is never going to fail. And I've seen it my whole ministry that people, they sit under great teaching, and then somebody comes along and they think, oh, this is the missing piece in my life. I'm going to go follow this. And then a couple years later, they're in another church and then another church, and they never have any kind of stability because they keep following these myths or these genealogies. I mean, for crying out loud, we can't even stand when they don't sing two hymns on a Sunday morning. Well, they didn't sing two hymns. There should be two hymns every Sunday. So I'm finding another church. There's always something that's going to upset us. And that comes from a life that is just not rooted and grounded fully and completely in Christ. Well, the antidote to the silly myths is what you call and what the scripture says is train yourself in godliness. Now, that's an interesting term. You and I both grew up in a very holiness-oriented church denomination, and holiness to them was don't go dancing, don't go to movies, don't play cards, don't do any of those things. That was holiness to them. Now, that's not what the Scripture means, does it, when it says train yourself in godliness? No, I just think it's another word for Christ-likeness, for the resulting effects of discipleship. Discipleship should lead us into Christ-likeness. So then you have to ask yourself the question, well, what did Jesus do? Jesus, there there was controversy in the church that I grew up in because there were a few people that would go evangelize in bars. And some people would say, that's terrible. You shouldn't do that. You'd be tempted. But if if you are secure and if you have accountability, that's where sinners are. You and I take you to eat at a local greasy spoon all the time, and they have a bar in there, and uh, it's not the healthiest thing in the world. <laughs> but we won't go there. I've been going anyway. there a long time, <laughs> yeah. and I've earned their respect and and their kindness. But I just think you know this is the kind of people that Jesus would have wanted to spend time with and would want to share his love. And I don't know what the long term effects of that, but everywhere I go, I just want to show the love of God to sinners, and I want to be kind and and uplifting. I don't want to start every conversation with some political statement that can bring us into an argument and an assumption that everybody believes the way that I don't want. To, I want to talk about Christ, and I want to. You know, people ask me, you know, "How are you?" I want to say, "I'm I'm wonderful." Uh, what have I have to, to complain about with with Jesus in my life? Those kinds of things. That's Christ likeness. That's how Christ would would act and behave. Christ is very strong on sin. It's sad because it's it's an either or. It's like we have to be so angry at the world or we have to be so accepting of the world that we can't walk in balance and say, yeah, we're going to walk in holiness, but at the same time, we're not going to be killjoys. Our culture is nothing but killjoy, nothing but cancel culture. And the church has to be different. The church has to be set apart. The church has to do the old phrase, hate the sin and love the sinner. And I've even heard recently, oh, that's not right. That's Yeah, it's biblical. Jesus hated sin, but he loved the sinners, and he spent time with them. And some of the silly things that we've done in the past, like some of the older saints in the church that I grew up in, they never, ever touch a, a deck of cards because it was believed to be evil. That's not holiness. That's legalism. But on the other hand, you know, there's Christians that I know that drink until they're intoxicated. That's sin. They gossip all kinds of things. I want to 
I want to exemplify Christ's likeness. It's just become the pursuit of my life. If I could sum it up, I would just say, I want to really be known as a nice person. I want to treat my employees well. I want to order my private life and make sure that the things that I'm doing when people aren't around are still honoring and glorifying and lifting up Christ. I want to be like him. Godliness has, I'll talk about it in the next podcast because godliness is going to be one of the centers of my sermon on this coming Sunday. It's a word that appears in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd, Timothy and Titus more than any other place in the Bible. And it's a, a, a word that's become common in Paul's vocabulary because he keeps stressing godliness to Timothy and to Titus. Raise up godliness. Make sure that you emphasize godliness. I think what he's saying is bring about Christ-likeness in the congregation as opposed to these false teachers who are laying a burden of legalism on the people, which is totally different. Let the people experience the rewards of righteousness. Somebody was just talking to me a couple of weeks ago and said, they think that one of the things that's missing in the church is the joy of repentance. And I thought, yeah, that's a biblical term, the joy of repentance. Where is the joy of walking whole and clean and my sins washed away under the blood of Jesus Christ? There's just so many things those little things that we're missing in the church today. That's such a good thought, Pastor Wald. It really is when you think about it. You know, when you talk about godliness, for me, it is almost like exposing the goodness of God through our lives. It's exposing something. It's exposing not me. I'm not good, but I'm exposing the goodness of God. At the same time, we are to expose the things of evil. In fact, last week, when you started the fourth chapter, 1 Timothy, it talks about that the last days people will depart you know, from faith and giving heed to deceitful spirits and so forth and so on. And then this past week, starting in verse 6, where it says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished by the words of faith. So he was saying that we also need to be people who expose the the bad things that are in society, evil things that are just not right. We cannot allow evil to just get a foothold by ignoring it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think this is the, I know this is the most difficult time in my lifetime to pastor because it is so deceptive. It is so tricky. And we are seeing that result that evil is taking over. And so you see things that are happening in the culture that Christians buy into and they think it's of God, but it's not of God. Because you say, look at the fruit of this belief system. I've done podcasts on socialism before and everybody is, you know, so many young people are caught up in socialism that this is right. And I've even heard from seminary professors saying that socialism is more biblical than capitalism. It's just an absurd conclusion. You look at the fruit of it and and the root. Look at the fruit and the root. I always say, what is the, where does the system come out of? It comes out of envy. It comes out of jealousy. It comes out of covetousness. And then what is the end of that? The end of it is division, class warfare, separation, even more racism. That's the thing is what we're trying to do in our culture to end racism is resulting in more racism. And I say, you're buying into these 
these worldly terms, and they're so deceptive, and they sound so good. Like uh, Rob Bell's book a few years ago, Love Wins. Oh, yeah, that's right. Love does. Yeah, love wins in the end, but so does justice. And you have to merge those two together. It says righteousness and justice kiss. They come and they merge together. So that's where we just, we have to stop this gospel light and this doctrine light. And we have to give people the full counsel of God. It's very very difficult to navigate because we are so easily triggered in our minds if the pastor says anything remotely. Evidently, I said something in the church a while ago about abortion, and somebody made the comment that I was preaching white supremacy doctrine or some crazy thing like that. That's the scripture, but that just reminds me again how easily so many people are just triggered by the cultural baggage that they have, their minds are not renewed. They're not walking in the spirit. It's so hard to, it's so hard to explain to people who are not walking in the spirit what it really means. But it means that you're are you you have the mind of Christ. You're thinking as Jesus thought. Your actions. You're not easily offended in a manner that that I'm talking about. You're not going to be upset if I say something, and you know very well what I mean. That's that's probably the only point where I ever get frustrated with the people. It's like, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but you're twisting it around because you have a sensitivity about this particular issue. That's not a person who is in tune with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit says, be quiet and listen mm-hmm. and find the truth in what your pastor is telling you. Mm-hmm. I think the Holy Spirit has been reminding me lately, and this is no offense against you, Pastor Wald, but you're not a head of the church. True. You are an under-shepherd yes. to the head. Yeah. And it's the head that, you know, if you're preaching God's word, hey, blame him. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> He's got the complaint department if if you don't like it. But it's true. It is a hard job today to be a pastor. And because so many things are coming against you and are coming against your thoughts. But you're not here to please people. That's what I hear you saying all the time. I'm not here to please all of you. I mean, I want to be liked by you, of course. I don't want you to throw eggs at me. But at the same time, I'm here to represent a greater audience. And he's the one we have to please because he is the head of the church. Any last thought? Yeah, get yourself into the word. Immerse yourself in it. And there's an Old Testament word to meditate, which I am also often reminded of. To meditate means to mumble the words as you read them. So as you read through, there should be kind of a a mental, maybe a physical, but even more so a mental mumbling and meditating and ruminating on the Word of God and saying, Lord, is this really a part of my life? And every time you go to the Scripture, you should ask the Holy Spirit to teach you the Scripture. Mm -hmm. Because I can teach... And, I, and I'm teaching doctrine, and one person on one side of the church says, amen, brother, and the other person on the other church side of the church says, that's total nonsense. I'm not buying it. Both need to take back what I said to the Scripture and meditate on it and say, Holy Spirit, teach me what is the truth here that I need to apply to my life. Well, and if you're speaking for him, which is the head of the church, I I think when we come to church, we're going to try to say, God, show me, help me, let me listen with ears that hear and eyes that see so that I can be more like you. 
Thanks a lot, Pastor Walt, for thinking out loud as usual. Our culture is confused, and that confusion is spilling over into everything today. God is never confused, and those who know Him and obey Him are never confused. Confusion is the absence of truth. But here on this program, we untangle our culture's confusion with the truth. Thanks for listening. Martin Luther King Jr. Jesus Christ was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.